1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
0: 971 FM Talk Podcast.
2: Well, I will say this is a bit of a miss, and my apologies to Joe Walsh and the rest of the Eagles. This should have been a piece of bumper music from two days ago when the Eagles were here at yes. Enterprise Center. Jane was at that show. She'll probably report back tomorrow. Jane Dukeer will be here on the Reardon Roundtable three o'clock hour. We got Brad Young on the panel tomorrow, and we have one spot that's open. We're going to open it up for competitive bidding here in the next hour. Competitive no, we just, we bidding. Had a, we had a cancellation, so well, you know, I'm I'm pay for pay pay to play. People always ask, hey, how do I get on the roundtable? I make it very clear, <laughs> pay to play, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's how it works here at 97.1 FM Talk. Uh, look, the uh, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, I think, is back in town after. Rather interesting day in Washington. How are you, Mr. Secretary? And were you in the Supreme Court chambers when all this took place earlier today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I was in the chambers listening to the oral
0: arguments, and I think it's clear the Supreme Court's going to come down with a pretty strong verdict that Colorado and Maine were wrong. Uh, people will stay on the ballot, and the people of this country will make their own decision about being president.
2: Now, did Missouri, and I just had the attorney general on in the last hour, I I should ask him this, and I think this is true, but we we offered a bit of a brief Missouri did in this case, right?
0: Yes, I led uh, a group of 10 other secretaries of state pointing out the problems with what had happened in Maine and Colorado and how it would just totally politicize election processes and destroy our country. I filed that brief with those other Secretaries of State, and I like to think we helped show why they needed to make the decision I believe they'll make next week. Jay, what did you
2: think about the questioning today? I said a couple of times earlier when I was listening, I listened to most of it, but when I first listened, I thought, oh, this sounds like it's not going to be this nine to nothing decision that people were hoping for just because it's going to, I think, help the country to have this settled in a more unanimous fashion. But as the questions kind of moved along, you, you sort of sensed that it was going to be more of a majority against Colorado than maybe first uh, impressions.
0: Yeah, I think as time went on, uh, I had that same impression. I, I don't know if it's unanimous. Maybe it's an eight-to-one decision. Um, but when it was the opportunity for Colorado to give their uh, to their, their, their arguments, uh, when they just couldn't answer some questions, it it became apparent that they weren't in the shape that maybe they thought they were.
2: What's it like just even being in that room with the Supremes? That has to be overwhelming in and of itself, I would think.
0: It, it is a great building to be able to be in the history, uh, just the solemnity and the, the importance of it. You know, think of the decisions that were made there that have helped America be the country it is, that beacon of liberty for the rest of the world. So it's, it's, it's awesome to be there, to be a part of that, making sure they make the right decisions.
2: Let me ask you about a couple of things that are happening in the news. I just had Jen Bukowski on in the last hour because she was there when all this happened with the uh, the IPEC event in Jefferson City. And you had a bit of an incident in, you know, association with all that. So I want to have you explain what happened the other night, Jay and Jeff City. Yeah,
0: I, 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 there was an event for the people to show their support for Israel and there were protesters outside of it. And, um, dumb me, I didn't realize there was a back door that didn't have quite as many protesters at it. So I just politely tried to go through the front door and they were not happy with me trying to enter the event, started pushing and shoving and trying to keep me away from the door. And then Someone kind of over my shoulder on my right side decided I should be on the ground. And I think that's the picture you got is when I decided that it would be better if he were on the ground than me.
2: Yeah. So was there an arrest made in connection with that? Are you aware? Um, I believe there was.
0: Um, you know, I've the, we have a great police department in Jefferson City. And um, I'm, I'm thankful that we do. We're not like, you know, New York and California where they would probably arrest you for trying to go to an APAC event you know, reward the protesters for violating your rights.
2: Well, I'm glad you're okay. And that that's one of those situations, it gets a little scary because you don't know what somebody's going to do in a well, yeah. moment like that. Uh, you're running for governor, Jay Ashcroft. We know that. What would you do differently right now if you were governor relating to what's been happening in the Missouri Senate and the chaos there?
0: Well, you need leadership. You need a governor that's going to use the pulpit. that's going to be somewhat collaborative, but at the same time, uh, come to a decision and say, this is what the state needs. This is what we need to get behind it and create that vision uh, to, to to tell the legislature, these are the issues we're going to work on. We need a governor that's going to cut spending. We can't continue to have our budget uh, boom the way it has been. We need to get a handle on education and make sure that we're truly educating kids instead of just spending money on buildings. We, we need public safety reform. I mean, look at the things that need to be done in the city of St. Oh, Louis yeah. to make sure that the people of St. Louis can be, feel safe in their own houses, and make the decisions that allow them to be the best they can be. We need that leadership, and we haven't had it.
2: But specifically to the issue of, for example, Caleb Robin, the Senate pro tem, Cindy O'Loughlin, who is in leadership as well, and the Freedom Caucus. Do you think the Freedom Caucus, some people say the Freedom Caucus, just of obstructionists. Some people would say, well, the other side's a bunch of rhinos. Where's Jay Ashcroft on that particular debate? You
0: know, I, I think you have to talk about individuals. Uh, when we talk about groups, there are good points and bad points about everybody in the group. Um, but I definitely think if you were just to look at the total number of people in the Freedom Caucus, caucus I think they want to do good things. They want to move conservative policy forward. Uh, so that's a good thing. I just We need to get stuff done instead of just having fights all the time. So we'll see what happens at the end of the session. Hopefully we'll be able to look back and say, you know what? We really got
2: a lot of good stuff done. So on that front, what is your hope for, obviously, it's your office that deals with some of these things relating to the ballot and initiative petition reform. So what's your hope there? You know, what I have said, I've I've been pushing for initiative petition reform since really November of 16.
0: And what I've said is I want to make sure that we have a process where we're only changing our Constitution when it's something that's broadly agreed by the people of Missouri. That we're not just being led around by moneyed interests from washington dc or new york or the west coast but it's what we the people of missouri believe in and these changes create more opportunity for missourians anything that fits those criteria i will support and i'm
2: happy to help the legislature in any way i can to move those things forward this seems to be my standard question for state office holders i think it's an important question i asked the governor this it was the affirmative andrew bailey it was in the negative is jay Ashcroft going to the super bowl this weekend no, I am way too cheap to do that. And much rather watch it at home with my kids and my wife. Hey, that's a good answer, Jay. That's where I'm going to be yep. as well. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. Go, Chiefs. And I appreciate you jumping on here with me this afternoon. Amen. Thank right. you. You know, it's fun. I, I have, he might be, uh, maybe he's not listening right now, but I have a good friend in uh, Columbia, Missouri. I won't mention any names, Carlin Yeager. And he is—he went to the Super Bowl the year the Chiefs won. Biggest Chiefs fan that wow. I probably know, and his wife proactively a few months ago—they didn't have tickets or anything—proactively got tickets, or not—not not tickets, but uh, hotel reservations at New York, New York. So, wow! Hey, so then, after the Chiefs win, he um, he tells me, "Well, I'm I'm going to the Super Bowl. I'm not sure if we're going to the game, right?" So that's the first text that I get, and then I I asked him, and well, it looks like he's going to the game. He's got tickets. So I asked. What's the over under? I put the over under at $5,000 for the tickets. Ooh. Was it over or under? I think it was under. It was slightly over. It was no slightly way. over. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. He said, here's his quote I mean, who needs a 401k, equity in your house, or a, pan, a plan to pay for your daughter's last year of college anyway? Uh, <laughs> uh, most people. Wow. That's well, wow. He's, he's doing quite well. For, for oh, his, is he? Yes. Okay. I mean, they, they own, uh, Carlin and his wife own um, Fleet Feet stores in Columbia, Missouri. Oh, so they're right. independent they're small fine. business people as well. But that's that's a fair amount of money for one football game. And I am i always thought, I've never been to a Super Bowl. I've never been to a Final Four. I always kind of said, if Mizzou gets to a Final Four, it doesn't seem like I'm going to have to worry about this. I want to go to the Final Four. And I'd like to go to a Super Bowl. However, you know, it is better just to watch the damn thing on television, and if you've been, well, you have been. You went to an NFL game. Yes. There's a lot of downtime in those yeah, they're, games. They're, you know, if you're in your home and you're watching commercials, you can grab your snack or something you like go that. Go to the bathroom without right. standing in line. So I, I think it's just fine to watch uh, the Super Bowl with your family at home. But then again, if you're a huge fan and there's a lot of events going on out there, Sue, so I'd hope to have my my friend Rick Niner, who lives out there in Vegas, who I visit all the time, and his flavor for what's happening oh, yeah. during the Super Bowl. He's too busy. He's got this new. We're, we've been talking French-y. about puppies a lot. He's a new French Bulldog puppy, and he's got another Frenchie that he has to take to the vet tomorrow, so he cannot be our Super Bowl correspondent. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, we do have Chris Kerber on the show tomorrow because the Blues are back in action, and we had this announcement this week about the Winter Classic with the Blues and the Blackhawks, so yeah, Chris cool. will weigh in on that. Uh, I have Peter Zane coming up in a few minutes, but I'm glad I have time for this because I think it's, um, it's, it's very important. And we've talked about this from a variety of perspectives with um, all the wokeness that goes on on campuses, universities, and in medical schools in particular. And I think that this is very revealing, and this comes from the Free Press. And hey, Sue, yesterday I was kind of forced into another subscription because I met the paywall on the Free Press, so now I can see these articles. And it's written by um, a former dean of the medical school at Harvard University, okay. esteemed prestigious university. We've talked about Harvard quite a bit. Jeffrey Flyer is his name. And he kind of goes in at first to some history history. He's a little older. In September 68, he says, I enrolled in my first class of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. It was there that I fell in love with medicine. He kind of goes into the things that were important to him about how he was taught that proper prescription can only follow accurate diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera. He says, look, I had been throughout the course of my career been made very aware of the disturbing history of racism and bias in medicine, though much has improved in this regard. Um, it's, you know, it's still an issue. And as Dean of Harvard, he said, I worked with colleagues to combat those problems. And so when I saw a 2020 paper in the journal Academic Medicine, authored by my alma mater's educational leaders about their efforts in addressing and undoing racism and bias, I was eager to read about the work. And he says I was soon disappointed. Instead of a scrupulous analysis of an important problem, the paper consisted of dramatic if unsupported generalizations about the inherent racism in medical education and practice and promises of sweeping but vague changes to come. And he kind of went into detail here about all these authors that wrote about this. One of them was named David Muller, and he'll he'll come up again here in, in just a couple of minutes. And they said, we've come to believe that dismantling racism in a complex, adaptive, deeply Hierarchical and siloed structure built on a foundation of scientific racism demands approaches that are bold, transformational, adaptive, and systemic. They also wrote that there is no priority, think about this, there is no priority in medical education that is more important than addressing and eliminating racism and bias. I mean, don't worry about solving cancer or anything like that. Let's focus on racism and bias. And offering their personal reflections, they write, it is impossible to embark upon this journey, especially for people who are white, without making an active effort to leave behind who we think we are, what we think we've accomplished, the titles, the publications, all of it. These are meaningless in the face of what our colleagues and students of color face every waking moment of their lives. Worse than meaningless, they are unearned. Now, Mr. Flyer writes, Denigrating people's accomplishments, no matter their race, seems a poor way to improve the practice of medicine. And focusing on the race of physicians and patients rather than committing to providing excellent care for all does not sound like an improvement. Correct. Correct. Ironically, he says the paper made no reference to the founding of Mount Sinai. That was the uh, you know, the school that he went to, his alma mater. in eighteen fifty two it was founded as the Jews Hospital. It was created to provide care to poor Jewish immigrants who because of anti-Semitism, ironically, mm. could neither obtain jobs as physicians nor care as patients in other hospitals. So he says that um he wanted to know more about this, and he signed up for chats for change it was a workshop that they held last january at mount sinai a regular call designed to spark dialogue centered on racism and bias that had been mentioned in the paper as part of the school's transformational change strategy so this was a zoom thing and he said it was in right away confirmed how much b i'm gonna put words into his mouth how much bs this was the first slide we were shown, and by the way, this fits the narrative. We've gone over some of these things with the anti-racist behavior, all the indoctrination, the manipulation. You got medical schools that are graduating doctors that have to swear an oath, a woke oath to anti-racism oh before gosh. they even put on their white coats, because that's the most important thing. And they've all been indoctrinated, and all these people who want to graduate and they want to make a living, they want to get paid to be a doctor and pay off their you know loans. They don't have the courage, sadly, to say, this is utterly ridiculous, right? So they all sit there and they, you know, spit out these words that most of them probably don't even really care about, but they are forced to by their administration. So he says, the first slide in this whole thing that happened on Zoom last year purported to explain the characteristics of whiteness and white supremacy. On the right side was a picture of a fish in a bowl with the words, the longer you swim in a culture, the more invisible it becomes. White supremacy culture was defined to include worship of the written word, objectivity, individualism, a uh, sense of bad. Ur- oh yeah. yeah, this is this is why we bring this stuff up all the time, a sense of urgency, power hoarding, and defensiveness. The administrator leading the session proceeded with a series of questions that undermined the necessity of collecting unbiased evidence to establish the best medical practices. For example, questions like, why is anything that is documented or published valued more highly than other forms of knowledge and communications?" Are clinical trials more valuable than patients' clinical experiences? So Mr. Flyer says, well, those questions suggested ignorance about the progress of modern medicine by those leading the session. The advance of medical science and therapeutics requires documenting, Publishing results, they're not always accurate, let's face that, and conducting clinical trials, and neither conflict with nor devalue the importance of patients' clinical experiences. So he kind of goes on and on here and says, you know, it didn't stimulate productive discussion about racism. Of course it didn't, because this makes things worse. And then he says, Mr. Flyer, again, former dean of the medical school at Harvard, says maybe that's an outlier, okay? Maybe this whole thing was just, you know— something that just happened in my experience here. Well, there was another one. The second workshop in September that he attended was called Anti-Racist Transformation in Medical Education. The goal, to discuss strategies for engaging institutional leaders to achieve necessary change. But the conversation, he says, was disappointingly generic. When I pressed for specific actions they wanted, that was not provided. He suggested that the term anti-racist though central to the mission of the school's racism and bias initiative, lacked a clear definition in their materials. The racism and bias initiative discussion leader dismissively responded that anti-racism was simply opposition to racism and that anyone with a terminal degree should know that she then stated that the school's anti-racism program was not about i discour- am sorry—encouraging pointless discussions about what anti-racism means. So think about that for a second. He brings up, wait a second, what does anti-racism means? Maybe you need to, you know, define this a little bit better. And she gets on her heels and says, "Well, this is the point of this is not to have a discussion about what anti-racism means." Mr. Flyer says, "I couldn't disagree more." As my friend, the physician and bioethicist Lachlan Foro points out unclear terms lead to unclear solutions. If we can't agree on what race, racism, diversity, inclusion, and equity, hey, we can't even agree what a woman is these days, right? The initiatives based on these terms are likely to be ineffective. But the message of the sessions that I attended, Mr. Flyer says, was clear. Much like a devotee accepting a holy writ, we were to forego questions and simply embrace the doctrine even without knowing what it means. And look, he goes on and on. He outlines this stuff. He says, I mentioned David Mueller. He says, I reached out to David Mueller. I was interested in a comprehensive review of the curriculum and whether or not it had actually done anything, right? Have you analyzed three years since you put that paper out? What's happened? And Mr. Mueller even admitted no findings have been reported. So they're doing all this stuff. It's a bunch of nonsense. You have Now, here's the problem, Sue, and I think you know this. Mr. Flyer kind of closes this way. The Hippocratic Oath tells us to do no harm. This oath extends beyond surgical theaters and clinical wards into medical education where the principles of science and the virtues of care combine to forge the next generation of doctors. And they're the inspiring goals that motivated me to serve as the dean of a great medical school. Sadly... I fear that diluting rigor and precision with ideological agendas will degrade the quality of medical education. Are you listening, SLU and WashU? Yep. Are you listening out there? In a rush to embed vague, contestable, and potentially harmful versions of social justice into medical education, yep. we risk compromising the very foundation of medical training and ultimately patient care. Now, Mr. Flyer writes this after he's the dean at the medical school, right? He's, he's not—there's no consequences for him at this point, which— I understand, as someone who gets a paycheck, you you don't want to have your paycheck removed for saying something controversial, but it is about time for people who are currently the dean of a medical school that are currently in leadership positions at WashU or SLU. And I know this is this is hope that's never going to happen, but people need to start standing up because yes. it's gotten out of control. And by the way, when this stuff is finally exposed, when people finally learn what's happening, whether they're on the left or the right they're outraged. But the difficulty is this. Where was this published? It was in the free press, right? I bet there's three people listening right now, if that, that did what I did yesterday and they pay for the free press and they read the stuff. Maybe, I'm, I'm hopeful that Barry Weiss has done more here and maybe more of you are paying attention. But my point is, this wasn't in the Washington Post. This wasn't in the New York Times. It wasn't in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. They probably would reject it, even though this guy was at Harvard. So I appreciate Mr. Flyer's words on this, and he echoes some of the things that other people in the field have said. We've had many of these guests on the show. The problem is, is that the people who are in control right now, like the Claudine Gays of the world, the Harvard president, the plagiarists, if you will, they Uh love this stuff. They they live by the anti-racism cottage industry. So will there be changes? Will there be doctors caring about medicine?
3: the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: This really is one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac albums. It's pretty much the last one that they released in 2003 called Say You Will. And there's Stevie Nicks singing on that one. I bring it up because she is coming back to St. Louis. The show is on May 7th. The tickets go on sale tomorrow. Enterprise Center is the location. We've been giving tickets away all this week. We're going to do it right now. How about caller number three? If you're quick with your trigger finger, 314-241-9797. Abby's going to answer the phone, and we'll get you those tickets. We don't send them out until a week before the show, but if you'd like to go to Stevie Nicks, here is your opportunity. And if you're a Fleetwood Mac fan and you've never checked out that record, say you will. Say you will. It is an underappreciated album by Fleetwood Mac. So that's what I would say. 533 on the bumper music front. You can always check out The X, formerly Twitter, if you will. I have to say that officially. It's federal law, I think, now. If you go to at Mark Reardon, KFTK, I publish the bumper music list. Each and every day. Well, it's been quite the day. And I do this feature, as most of you know, audio cut of the day at the end of the show. I feel like I have to have a, an entire hour for everything that happened at the Supreme Court today. And Peter Zane is with us, editor at Real Clear Investigations. I told Fred this uh, a few minutes ago, Peter, I said, you know, we uh, we wanted to get you on to talk about Trump and the, the calm that you wrote. It seems like the news cycle has shifted so much. There's been so much from today. I have to get your reaction to everything that happened at the Supreme Court.
1: Well, I mean, I think that what we see, and it's consistent with what I wrote in my column, is, you know, the left's playbook is to say something outrageous, scream it from the rooftops. Then when it's eventually debunked or dismissed by the courts, as certainly this ridiculous insurrectionist uh, claim is going to be, they'll just memory wipe it and move on to something else. Yeah. You know, rinse, wash, repeat. Or
2: yeah. wash rinse, repeat. Well, I don't know. Did you get a chance to hear a lot of the arguments? I mean, it just seems um, I mean, at this point, I think conventional wisdom would be that Colorado is going to lose this case. Right.
1: You know, it's, as Trump has never been convicted of insurrection. You would then – it's then an opinion that he did that. And to say that the the secretaries of states of different places can say, in my opinion, he violated this law, and therefore I'm going to affect a federal election, is absurd. It's It's, laughable on its face.
2: And I can't remember – I don't think I have the audio of this, but it was uh, one of – somebody like Alito even said today, you realize you shouldn't even be here, right, because the case is such a joke.
1: Well, let's hope – that they find a narrow enough ruling to dismiss this thing where it can be nine to nothing. Because I think that the court really needs to send a signal about this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see if we can get more of a unanimous uh, decision. So in your calm though, about some of this, you you said Trump opponents and you're going to I want you to address some of the opponents. And Nikki Haley, I guess, is amongst them right now. Trump opponents reject this foundation of science and logic going beyond their grotesque comparisons of him to Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini. They now cast Trump as a mythical beast like Gollum, Leviathan or Kraken, who wreaks whirlwinds of destruction without prodding. I mean, it, it is like that. And, you know, did you hear what happened on CNN today? Peter. No. So, yeah, you know, most people in this audience didn't either. But l- listen to this, because I think it kind of plays in. So Trump goes up there after the arguments and Jake Tapper's on the air. And this is what happens. Hey, they had no
0: money to give to Hamas.
2: They had no. money OK, to uh, I think on? we've gotten uh, all the illegal analysis we're going to get out of President Trump. You know, it's odd there because can I just this say- was actually an opportunity for her to. Come they're, they're just laughing at him. It's like a big laugh fest as if this isn't serious at all. It was outrageous.
1: Well, I mean, you know, again, we can take this in so many directions, but what they basically do is they create an environment in which they delegitimize anything that they don't like. There was Oliver Darcy, who's a CNN columnist, uh, wrote a piece that basically said, if you oppose illegal immigration, you are basically channeling the KKK and Stormfront, and that these once very marginal, disgusting, hateful opinions are now – Commonly broadcast on Fox News, One American Network, probably your talk radio show. Because they take things they don't like and they smear people who have honest beliefs about things. And now you see this man, whatever you want to say about Donald Trump, half the country uh, supports the guy. And to say we're not going to even give him airtime is so arrogant and is such an abdication of what a journalist is supposed to do. 're I mean, supposed to be a channel, a vehicle you're not supposed to be the, the, the omniscient God deciding what people should hear or not it's disgraceful.
2: This would be anecdotal, but I'll use myself as an example, Peter. I've never, and this goes back to 2016, look, I was uh, one of those people that did not see the wave of working class people and the appeal that Trump had, and I was extremely turned off by the behavior. And I remain turned off by much of the behavior. So I did not vote for Trump in 2016. I cast my ballot for a friend of mine who's a state senator in Wisconsin because I told him I would write his name in. His name is John (laughs) Jagler. He did not win that election. Trump won. (laughs) Now, I voted for him in 2020 because I thought he was a much better choice. I, I, I can't stand his antics sometimes, Peter, but I can't wait to vote for him right now because I'm so disgusted by what's happening with this administration.
1: So I would say that, you know, for me, the sort of and I think a lot of people who might vote for Trump, that the tension is that he has been. And this is what I'm trying to say in the, the column is they pretend that all of his behavior is unprovoked. And in fact, they have provoked all of it. Yeah by calling him a Russian spy, by lying about Hunter Biden in the election. You you know, chapter and verse. I know your your listeners know this. And so what they then do is they – provoke responses in him and as they continue to vilify him like any normal person in fact i'm amazed at how well he's held it together well you know what that's
2: that's an important point because i've used the term one thing that people used to say and maybe i even said he's he's not presidential and i know a lot of people don't care about that he's actually come off pretty he's in a relaxed mode and when he's relaxed like this i think the momentum goes in his way
1: his, so his great strength, given all of the attacks, is that he has the thickest skin ever. And all you have to do is remember the greatest, greatest president of my lifetime, Ronald Reagan, he was really shook by Iran-Contra. I mean, that, that hurt him, what people were saying about him. Trump withstands all that. But the problem is he actually thrives on it. And instead of saying, well, let me defuse this because this isn't good for me, it isn't good for the country, he then responds in kind. But all I was trying to say in the, in the, the column is we don't know what kind of president he would have been if they had treated him normally, if they hadn't a relentlessly point. attacked him yeah. at, at everything. Huh. And so for me, you know, I think some of the tension is I don't like his behavior. Okay, But I don't like that so much of that behavior is a response to what they've done to him. And to turn away from him would be rewarding them for their atrocious behavior. And so it's a, it's a lose-lose situation in some ways. Um, I don't like my choices. But, but the idea of just saying, well, I can't vote for him because of his behavior, well, a lot of his behavior is attributable to the unbelievably unfair phony attacks. And, you know, just, again, whether it was Russiagate or this insurrection thing, it was nonsense, but it was just a way to call him names. And then once it gets defeated by the Supreme Court, which it will, they, they won't mention it yeah. anymore. To go, oh, well, you know, they tried, whatever. Look at this thing with the, you know, foreigners paid $8 million, $7.8 million to stay in his hotels. It's like, okay, you know, they're saying that he's a kleptocrat and a criminal, for that. They stayed in these hotels before. He was president. They stayed after. And meanwhile, they're defending Joe Biden, whose son was in an influence peddling scheme. So if I'm Donald Trump, just a normal human being, my hair would be on fire. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Ooh, I'm amazed at his self
2: restraint sometimes. Yeah, I know. Lately I am too. Uh, Peter, it's Sue. I'm wondering what you think if he does get back in office. I mean, obviously it's not going to be better. I mean, he was treated poorly before, but I I think it just gets worse. And then what does that look like? That's a really good question. So in
1: 2008, I made one of my – I regret this to this day. I voted for Obama, and I voted for him in part because I didn't like McCain, but I also voted for him because I thought they – the left is – well, they were liberals at that point. Liberals have gone so crazy about Bush and Cheney and this war, and it's like – Let's just, maybe this will just chill out if they get a normal guy in the White House. And no, they just stepped on the gas pedal. So, I mean, I think that, one, we cannot afford four more years of Biden, whose policies are disastrous. So that's the first thing. Whatever you want to say about Trump, and I would say that you're buying into, we buy into the Democrats' position when we make it about Trump. Do we want four more years of this incompetent left-wing ideologue with the DEI, Trans rights are the civil rights issue of our time with the trillions of dollars in spending. Um, But, yeah, no, if he's elected, they're not going to they're not going to stop the attacks. They'll step it up. They'll probably impeach him five more times. But so for that reason, we should let Biden win. Mm.
2: Well, I mean, if, that's if, rewarding if bad it, behavior. Yeah, if he makes it that far. First of all, every time you're on now, I'm going to introduce you as Obama supporter Peter Zane with <laughs> yes. us. tonight, Just because so, okay. you confessed that. But no, so th- this plays into the next topic here, the special counsel report. Did you read some of that today? It's, it's pretty damning, even though they're not going to prosecute him on this.
1: Uh, yes. And it's, you know, what we knew and what we can see. And, you know, frankly, I hope, Biden runs because, weirdly, I think he's the. You know, both sides are kind of gambling with the country. But, but my feeling is is that if Biden stepped down, the person who would replace him would be even more ideological oh, yeah. and, and would try to move the government. And I am uh, afraid that if Biden may be the only guy that Trump can beat. So, you, you well, that's, again, that's, you just put in, yeah.
2: yeah. That's an issue that for sure. Yeah.
1: You're put into a situation where, you know, it's like what's in the best interest of the country. And it's like, you know, this may be given the place that both parties are in the best choice that we have, because, you know, if I'm probably going to vote for the Republican candidate and it's like, I want that person to win. And I feel like if it's Trump, you know, almost anybody other than Kamala Harris, I think
2: beats him. Wouldn't it be fun? I've said this before. Wouldn't it be fun to kind of fast forward into the future 50, 75, 100 years and see how they're teaching about this part of history mm. in classes? <laughs>
1: well, let, let's hope they're honest about it well, they won't be, because yeah. the historical professions become so corrupt that, uh, you know, and, and you know, one other thing it's like one of the great mysteries is why do they hate Trump so much? And I know they don't like him because he ran on closing the border down a little bit. And both the never Trumpers and the Democrats, for their own reasons, uh, like open borders, uh, he was going to take on China and they all like making their cheap goods in China. He was questioning NATO and they all profit from the uh, EU alliance. Uh, But I think the larger point is that he, this was a guy who had no experience in government. He had not wrestled with most of the issues that a president has to. And he came in and did a better job than these people who spend their lives studying this stuff, and who think they're the smartest people in the room. And I, I, and I have
2: to admit that, because I was so wrong about and One of my concerns was that he was not going to achieve conservative you know, policy, and we got a couple of Supreme Court nominees and more than that. So I, I was shocked by that and pleasantly surprised. But,
1: but look at the Middle East. Look at look at how he handled Russia. Look at how he handled China. Look at how he forced NATO, to EU countries in NATO, to start paying a little bit more he couldn't finish the tax the, the the task but the things he called them out on and by the way whether you like the vaccine or not but he at warp speed you wouldn't have had a vaccine that quickly if anybody else had been present i think you're right about wouldn't that happen I
2: gotta, I gotta go to another segment peter Zane, always great to have you on i appreciate it you have a great weekend it
1: was great fun thanks so Thank much Thank you. after the end of a good fight you deserve a nice cold reward
0: I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if the Supreme Court said we're removing the front running uh, Republican candidate uh, from the ballot uh, and uh, and and essentially saying to the American people, you won't have the opportunity uh, to vote for him.
2: That's David Axelrod. Now, he said that last night on CNN. He, of course, Obama advisor. Now, David's been very critical of Joe Biden just from the standpoint that he recognizes that the man can't get words out and he's very concerned about losing the election because he's a Democrat. But I think that kind of sums things up. There's nobody that I can see out there that doesn't believe that the Supremes are not going to rule in favor of uh, Trump on this. I mean, I, I don't think there's any chance in hell. The only question is how unanimous is it? Our friend Scott Jennings, my friend Scott Jennings, regular contributor here, kind of sums it up this
4: way. The reality is that if this Supreme Court today, under the circumstances that we now have, and the legal situation that we now have were to throw Donald Trump off the ballot, it would send our country and our political system into a world of chaos. I mean, the decks need to be cleared so that the American people can finally vote, and when they do, know what they're dealing with. Are they dealing with a convicted felon, or are they dealing with someone who's been acquitted? And I, I, to me, that is paramount here. Ever since this, this case happened, ever since
2: the secretary of state tried to do this, and obviously there were some other states, Maine as well, this would have implications beyond Colorado. We said, I think there was a hope, and I remember even talking about it right after this happened, that the Supremes would get this case and we hoped that it would be unanimous. And again, when I was listening to this this morning, I thought, oh, it's not going to be unanimous. Then I started hearing some of the questions. The justices were very good, both sides, Mm. in asking questions. You could kind of hear from KBJ that she wants to be the outlier here. But here's Turley on whether or not this could be nine to nothing.
4: I think there is a chance that they will find a unanimous position. I think John Roberts was probably really listening very carefully to Jackson, because many of us thought that Jackson might be the toughest sell uh, for Roberts. It appears that Sotomayor may be the tougher sell. But there's clearly foundation here for unanimity, and you couldn't help but feeling some sympathy for... Uh, Murray, You know, it's like West Side Story, where you show up and you find out that none of your sharks are there. Everyone's a jet. <laughs> and uh, he, did the, he did the best he could, you know, but he was looking very lonely at points. So, and uh, I thought he did a very good job. I thought Mitchell did an outstanding job. Yeah, he's talking
2: about Jason Murray, who argued the case for Colorado. You can even hear this with a liberal justice in uh, Elena Kagan. Why should a single state have the ability to make this
3: determination, not only for their own citizens but for the rest of the nation
2: because article 2 gives them the power to, to appoint their own electors as they see fit but if they're going to use a federal constitutional qualification as a ballot access determinant then it's creating a federal constitutional question that then this court decides. And other courts, other states, if, if this court affirms the decision below determining that President Trump is ineligible to be president, other states would still have to determine what effect that would have on their own state's law. And well, he kind of lost all those arguments. You know, it's funny, I'm going to admit something. And I told Fred this earlier, when when I I was watching, they didn't have video from the chamber. So it was just oh, audio. Just but audio. If, if you were watching Fox or CNN, um, I'm not sure if C-SPAN did this, but they made it very clear on television who was speaking, right? So I, at one point, got into the car after this started, and I was listening to Fox on Sirius XM, And it was, it was Justice Kagan I was listening to, and I didn't know who it was. And I'm telling you, I thought it was Alito. I thought it was a man's voice oh, wow. that I was listening to. And I, my apologies to Justice Kagan for misgendering her this morning when I was listening to those arguments. <laughs>
4: Standby. Playback ready. And then heating mangoes. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well,
2: I'm going to go in a different direction because we played a fair amount of audio today from what happened at the Supreme Court, also in the aftermath of the special counsel ruling today that they will not prosecute Joe Biden over the mishandling of documents. To summarize that, the special counsel said, yeah, he mishandled documents, but he's too old and feeble to be convicted of this, so there's no point in prosecution. And by the way, that's not really simplifying the argument. That's pretty much what what they said today. But I'm going to go in the John Kennedy direction because I love him so much. From Louisiana, Senator Kennedy, we talked about Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary. I sort of wish that Janet Yellen was my grandma because she seems like she'd be a nice grandma. Seems like she's a terrible Treasury Secretary,
4: though. These high prices are here to stay, aren't they? These high, let, me, let me amend that, Madam Secretary. These high prices caused by Bidenomics are here to stay, aren't they? Well, the high high prices were not caused by Bidenomics. Um we suffered a pandemic that resulted in severe dislocation. Yes, ma'am. But if I could ask you, they're here to stay, aren't they? I don't expect the level
2: of prices to go down. She's like an SNL bit, isn't she? She basically admits, yeah, the, the level of prices is going to down. By the way, yeah, we had a pandemic. Okay, we all know that. But we didn't voluntarily agree to have our restaurants closed down. No, we didn't we voluntarily did not. agree to have stores close down and have ridiculous rules. We didn't voluntarily, you know, keep kids out of school Mm -hmm. so they'd have a learning loss that's going to be felt for decades. So, no, we didn't voluntarily do that. The reason that Joe Biden, look, Republicans have to accept some responsibility about this as well, because they shoveled a whole lot of money out there when they could have probably been a little bit more responsible and taken this thing a lot slower and said, you know what, let's just do our best and see if natural immunity will work instead of all the other stuff. But they never even gave that a shot.
4: Madam Secretary, I've, I've watched you for years, even before I came to Washington. And, uh, oh, Excuse me. It's okay. When I have time, I do. I, I enjoy reading your speeches. Um, I think you're what cool looks like. Uh, you're a good sport to go out every day and try to defend Bidenomics. It's like trying to defend a. Uh, a fungal infection uh is really just paying more to live worse isn't
2: it yeah that's why i love him that's why he is our audio cut of the day we got a weird roundtable at three tomorrow sue have a great night hey you too
0: get more at 971 one talk.com
1: t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours